I was thinking about the ladies giving testimony. Um, I remember, uh, and however you may feel about him, uh, the guy who, uh, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren. Yeah. Um, early on, I was in seminary and uh, we, we came down and there were eight seminary students. We got to sit with him. Hey, at the time, I was kind of following him and, you know, Saddleback was big. And he, he asked a question. He says, does anyone know who you really are? I didn't really know how to process that. He, he quoted out of First John. He says, walk in the light as he is in the light. Confess your sins one to another. And he pointed out, he said, it's not unto salvation, but unto restoration. You know that God's forgiven you, right? But are you still walking in shame that you don't want anyone to know about your past? And um, as I thought about that, I thought, that's where you live in condemnation because you really aren't free. You, you know, your past belongs to the Lord. It's a testimony. There are things I don't like to revisit, but it belongs to God. And I was thinking about those ladies that are sharing. It's, it's not easy to recount something so awful. Um, and a lot of ladies haven't even processed it. But... Um, God has the ability that, that, that once we're honest with him and open and we share it, there's a cleansing and, and there's, there's a lifting and there's a peace. I'd, I'd encourage you to ask the Lord for that strength, that your past belongs to him and, and there are things that, that you can encourage other ladies with. So pray about that. I wanna say thank you to all the ministries present. You took longer than last time and I still enjoyed it. So, yeah. And it's communion Sunday, so I have no idea how we're going to get through this. And I'm still yapping, so. Uh, would you open up to Joshua chapter 4, if you would, please? If you need a Bible, the folks walking down the aisles will give you one. Joshua chapter 4, sixth book of the Bible, the sixth book of the Bible. Joshua chapter 4. Yesterday we had uh, the showing of Plandemic 3. Mickey Willis was here. It was amazing. Um, so was Riza Islam, who uh, is from the Nation of Islam. Some of you are going, oh my goodness, where's this church going? Doggone it. <laughs> well, just so you know, the Nation of Islam, uh, as, a, as an entity, refused to have their congregants um, take the vaccine and stood in opposition to the government. So I, I was proud to stand on that stage with him. Also, we had G. Edward uh, Griffin. Um, he's the one that you probably saw in the 1960s, and then he's been around, he, and he was in the audience, and he's 91 years young, and I'd like to look at 58, how he looks at 91. He came up and answered questions, and then, of course, Mickey Willis, and then uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits. But we honored all the folks that were present. What was interesting is it was a night of remembrance because these are the heroes as far as I'm concerned. A lot of them aren't churchgoers. Many of them don't uh, subscribe to our faith, but they stood in opposition to tyranny, which is a picture of America. Um, we're, we're unified. That means unified diversity. We're diverse, but we're unified. And standing on that stage with folks that are contending for freedom... I, 
I wish the evangelical church had stood in opposition to the tyranny in the state. I didn't know the severity of the virus as I was saying last night, but the one thing I did know is that when the governor of California said the church was non-essential, that's easy. You're wrong. And we're not moving. So that's, you know, that's how we, that's how I approached it. But in, in the first few rows, we had business owners, folks that never would probably have darkened the doors of a church. I, I didn't know Riza. I didn't know Mickey. I didn't know Judy. Um, I didn't know Mr. Griffin. I didn't know any of them uh, before this misery um, was thrust upon us. And Pandemic 3 is a remarkable movie because it shows really the concentration of government. And, and the Lord has come to set the captives free. A government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. You have to remember who you are. You're Americans. You've been given freedom. This is a bottom-up government. The sovereign in America is, in the first three words of the preamble, we the people of the United States. They govern by our consent. It's our responsibility to hold them accountable it's memorial, it's a remembrance, it's something that we're required to do. But if they can separate our children's history from the reality of our own history, we lose a generation and then they can conquer the people because they've forgotten who they are. And that's what the point of the 1619 Project is and the dumbing down of our school systems and indoctrination, not education. Well, it all coincides with what we're about to read, Joshua chapter four. You see, Joshua chapter four the nation of Israel is crossing the Jordan and entering into the promised land. The generation before them, an 11-day journey took 40 years until they died because they disobeyed God. Chapter 3, after we went through Deuteronomy and Moses pouring into them, because Moses wasn't allowed to see the promised land or enter in, I should say. Chapter 3, we learned about the Ark of the Covenant, and that is the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Commandments! You have best by now memorized them. And you should instruct your children as well and your grandchildren. That's a commandment. Secondly, the rod of Aaron, uh, this, is, this is the priesthood. And I called, I called out dads, you're the priest of the home. Lead accordingly. He's given you that responsibility. And how do you do that? Manna was in the Ark of the Covenant. Manna is God's word. And you have to have fresh manna. Read, you're up every morning. Read your Bible. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Right, dads? Hello? That was pathetically weak. Read your Bible. (laughs) Now, if you're wondering what version to read, I've told you the best version of the Bible is the one you read. So read your Bible. And so now they have the hope of what's called the promised land. It's not heaven, but it's the victorious Christian life. They're going to enter in now. The Jordan's parting. The priests are leading. The children of Israel will now enter into the promised land. There will be enemies in the land, which makes sure that it's not heaven. There'll be greater battles, but there'll be greater blessings This is a land flowing with milk and honey that God's giving to them. This generation gets to enter. And as they do, they're going to conclude, and you'll see momentarily how they conclude. And it's fitting that this is Communion Sunday because um, it's a memorial, it's a remembrance. And we'll tie it all together in 33 minutes and 8 seconds. (laughs) 
Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Joshua chapter 4, I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. It came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst, into the midst of the Jordan. Each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes, of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come saying, what do all these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. I'm emphasizing, I hope you're paying attention. As the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and crossed over, then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people, and the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war, crossed over before the Lord for battle, to the plains of Jericho, and on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel. And they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priest to bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest saying, come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord came from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. And now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho, Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for the midst of the Jordan and for a memorial. Lord, thank you that you've called us to remember Bless this time. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat if you would. You look exhausted standing so long. 
Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we did a study, and I want to remind you, Deuteronomy was Moses preparing the generation that was going to enter into the promised land. The generation he was a part of didn't. It's an 11-day journey that took 40 years because God waited for them to die. Because of their disobedience, they didn't memorize nor obey the commandments. Amen. So the book Deuteronomy is Hedbarim, means the words. It's also called the book of remembrance. And um, let's see if we can, there we go. Yeah. These are the words which Moses spoke to all of Israel, and this is chapter four of Deuteronomy, similar to chapter four of Joshua. They'll tie in together. At this pivotal point in Israel's history on the threshold of the promised land and ready to adopt a true national identity, Moses spoke to Israel in this book of Deuteronomy. He spoke to all of Israel. Essentially, the book of Deuteronomy was a sermon, a series of sermons preached by Moses to Israel and preached with a heavy and passionate heart. It was heavy. Moses' heart was heavy because he knew that he would not enter the promised land. He had failed to speak to the rock. He struck it twice, and God he didn't obey him and that's in numbers 20 meant that he could not see israel's exodus from egypt through to completion he was 120 years old um let's see yeah moses's heart was passionate because he knew that if this new generation generation of faith unlike the generation which perished in the wilderness if this new generation did not obey the law of god then God's covenant would work against them and curse them. So the Lord passionately pled through a passionate Moses in Deuteronomy, pleading for Israel to choose life. That's why we spend so much time focusing on life because it is the, it's the main moral issue of our, of, of our nation. If we don't get that right, we will not survive. Maybe you think it's trite and something to be dismissed. Maybe you think it's not a baby because it's too small. Well, let's debate that, because you're wrong. What else could it be but a human being? Just because it's inconvenient. You say, well, I believe in choice. The choice was already made. There's a, there's a baby now to be cared for. You can't do it, we will. But why does the baby have to suffer? Well, rape and incest. That's less than 1% of 1% of all abortions. And even still, I can speak from experience that the cathartic healing of a woman that has experienced such a tragedy by bringing that baby into the world was nothing but healing. So I don't understand. You say black lives matter when 4% of the nation's population are black childbearing females and they're responsible for 40% of the abortions? It's a holocaust in the black community. And yet everyone's silent. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist who sought to destroy what she called the Negro problem. And yet they give out the Maggie Awards. This nation needs to wake up. Choose life. There's a reason why we are where we are today. At the conclusion of Mickey's movie last night, there was a call to action. But I thought to myself, unity, yes, a call to action to remember a realization that as I thought to myself, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. But then I, I quoted a passage of scripture. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. It's in Chronicles. You see, if we're to have an abundant Christian life, God needs you to do some work in our hearts. Deuteronomy is therefore a book of reminding and remembering, a book of preparation. We never outgrow our need to be reminded, as Peter said in 2 Peter 1.12. I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Reminding, remembering, the word memorial, serving to preserve remembrance, an adjective. That's why we do Memorial Day. To remember the sacrifice of those who died in order to secure our freedoms, our liberties, but then we separate our children with the 1619 Project, and if their history is different from our own, we lose the nation because they don't remember and we haven't been faithful to transfer that truth to the next generation. We're stewards of their lives. We're the ones who are to hold them accountable, to teach them it is an 11-day journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. The journey from Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea only took 11 days, but from Kadesh Barnea, the threshold of the promised land, back to Kadesh Barnea, back to the threshold of the promised land, took 40 years. And as I said before, it's because those 40 years was necessary for that generation of unbelief. Those who were adults when Israel left Egypt, it took 40 years for that generation to die out in the wilderness and for a generation of faith to trust in God to arise in place after them. They got delivered from slavery, but then they enslaved themselves by disobedience to God. On this side of the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, which we've gone through the Decalogue, to realize that that sets you free. So wise restraints that make us free. The moral law. On this side of the Jordan, this was one of the last things Moses did to prepare the people of Israel to finally enter into the promised land, Moses knew they needed to know the word of God, and so Moses began to explain the law. Moses now serves as an expository teacher of Israel. The Hebrew word translated explain comes from the idea to dig deeply and to mine. Moses is mining out the riches of God's truth to the people to prepare them to enter in, even though he can't. Moses remembers, he, he, he's reminding, he's remembering, he's a memorial, he remembers when in unbelief Israel refused to enter the promised land. We see this in chapter 4, verse 19 of Deuteronomy. So we departed from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way in the mountains of the Amorites. And Lord, our God had commanded us. And then we came to Kadesh Barnea and I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites which the Lord your God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Fear or be discouraged. You know what? You know why we don't stand for truth? Because we're afraid of the consequences of truth. I'm going to lose my job. So what? Why would you allow the next generation to have to live in a lie? Because you don't want to face consequences of telling the truth. Truth is essential. You have fear and discouragement. That's not of God. Discourage means without courage. Fear, God says he hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That's why this, this generation perished. But now we're on the threshold. 
We must enter in the promised land that this nation conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal will not perish from the face of the earth. It's gonna require a love of truth and a willingness to stand for it regardless of the consequences. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. And after seeing God's faithfulness and enabling them to cross the land of the Amorites, Moses was ready to lead the nation into Canaan. Do not fear, be discouraged. Encouragement important because this was a critical moment for Israel. They were little more than a year out of Egypt, ready to go into the promised land, and there before them, ready to take by faith that, that they feared. And, and then they became discouraged. God, uh, Mo- Moses pleaded with God because God said he couldn't go in because he struck the rock instead of spoke to it. He said, let me cross over. He was begging him. He knew God was merciful, but God said no. That second paragraph, we can appreciate what a painful thing it was for Moses. He lived the first 40 years of his life confident in his own ability to deliver Israel. He spent the next 40 years of his life having confidence demolished as he tended his father-in-law's sheep. And he spent the last 40 years of his life being used of God to do what he was called to do. And now he was not allowed to see the end result. But boy, what a disappointment in a otherwise amazing life. 120 years And then in the conclusion, or at least this part of Deuteronomy chapter four, which will coincide with Joshua four, I love what Moses writes here. And listen to these words. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all the law which I set before you this day. Only take heed to yourselves and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days They live on the earth and that they may teach their children and grandchildren. We have a responsibility. When all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, and here we come to chapter four of Joshua, all the people had faithfully crossed over. The priests went first. They put their feet in the water. They stood in the midst. God held the waters back. It was completely dry. Tribe after tribe, 40,000 armed, ready for battle. Israel was now on the other side of the Jordan in the promised land. But what is life in the promised land like? Is it one of a glorious vacation time after another? No. For Israel, it was a place of battle, but most of all, it was a place of trust. They knew they had to trust God with everything they had because the challenges only got bigger in the promised land. But so did the blessings. I I have to tell you, I get tired in the work, but not of the work. But you know, sometimes I get tired of the work. And you know when I get tired of the work? It's all about me. Maybe you don't have that problem. It's called ego. Ego is I. I is self-preservation. The apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. It's Christ who lives in me. That's rough. Everyone crosses over and you think the promised land is gonna be milk and honey, but there's 
There's warring factions to deal with. You're like, really? I mean, every, every stand you make, there's another enemy awaiting you. Well, that's, that's called standing for truth. You have to be vigilant. Take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. And I emphasize that. I emphasize it. I'll explain it momentarily. From the place where the priest's feet stood firm. Each tribe was to send a representative to take a stone, undoubtedly a large one, from the dry riverbed where Israel had crossed over so the stones could be set up as a memorial so they carry the massive stones that wouldn't move in the heaviness of the current. They carry these massive stones to where they're encamped. But in addition, there's two memorials, one on the side of the river and the other, watch this, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. That is a bizarre memorial to put it underwater right in the middle of the river. Joshua also set up a pile of memorial stones in the very bed of the river Jordan so that when it was lowered in a season of drought, those stones could be seen and would testify of the time that God had completely dried up the Jordan. Especially in a time of drought, we need to remember the great things God has done. The Jordan is going to overflow its banks. It's being held back. They set up a memorial on the side of, of, of the Jordan, but in the midst of the Jordan, they set up a memorial. The only time you're gonna see that is when the water's dried up and you're thirsty and you're wondering, is there gonna be any hope for the nation? That's the time to look at a memorial. I don't know about you, but in those times, I, I'm not gonna go into detail, but it's, it, it, there was a drought. I just laid there and started thinking of God's blessings and his faithfulness and started to reflect and confess and apologize. And, and my heart was restored, even in that season of drought. Maybe you don't go through that, you will. But that memorial or the memorial that's in the midst of the Jordan, that's one that you see in a drought. Remember those. You're going to need to call on that in difficult times. God's never early. He's never late either. You may think he's late because he didn't meet your time frame. But he's always right on time. He's not bound by time. And everything he's taking you through is for a blessing and a strengthening We often fail in our trust in God because we forget the great things he has done and often the faith of our children is weak because they have never been told how great God is and how real working, how real his working is in our lives. You, 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 you proclaim God with your mouth, but your kids watch you with their eyes. They're like, yeah, <laughs> two different things. Praise the Lord. Oh my God, we're out of money. You snip at each other. And the kids are like, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your heart and mind, Christ Jesus. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual praises making melody in your heart. One, Listen, mom, dad, 
If you're going to be in that place, which you will be because you're fallen creatures, go to a place and resolve it and come out unified. You can have differences and disagreements. But I'm going I'm to share with you a powerful tool to overcome it. Pay attention. Ready? I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Some of you are like, oh, I ain't doing that. I don't know. <laughs> You're choking on that. It makes you sick to your side. Just clean up your side of the street. And, and you know what? Husbands, you're, you go first. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I just, I want to tell you a secret. Dad, husbands. The likelihood is they're not going to respond the same way. Because they have discernment. And your wives know you're wrong. They're just glad you came to that understanding. You're going to learn over time that they apologize in different ways. They just can't seem to say it. I love you. That means I'm sorry. Also, too, T-O-O. It, it, it's the way God's designed us. But men, do it. Amen. Joshua chapter 4 you know what's at stake? The kids. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. So the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Then all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Kids can be amazing evangelists if they live in a home of power if your mouth matches your actions. If they, they see humility, they don't expect you to be perfect. They just, they see the strength of a mighty man who has the power to say, I am sorry. That, that is a strong man. I was wrong. That is an amazingly powerful man. Will you forgive me? That is a profoundly strong man. A man who can't do that is a man whose ego is alive and well. 
You have not been crucified. You are protecting your flesh. You are doing anything you can in your insecurity. And the children watch. And God wants the world to know how powerful he is because he he moves in and through your life. You are a representative of him. That's why you get the word Christian, little Christ, Christ like. The world sees a man or a woman who's fearless and stands for truth regardless of the consequences and loves their children. More importantly, is humble in the presence of their spouse. They do not keep account of wrongs. They're merciful and gracious, patient and long-suffering, kind and gentle. That's the power of a strong man. You shall let your children know it was an important purpose for their children so they would have a point of contact with God's work in the past and remember that God's work did not begin with them and their time. You see, if children can see that mom and dad are faithful, they know that God will be faithful to them. They can see the past, they can watch the present, and they know that the future is one they can rely upon with God. That's, yeah, amen. And then everyone watches. The first four or five rows last night at the premiere were folks that aren't churchgoers. Yet they're my heroes. They kept their businesses open during this mess. They stood strong in defiance of the tyranny and they were unbelievably brave and they they came here. They, They don't know anything about God's speak. When Mickey came up, I, I didn't know Mickey from Adam two years ago. I didn't even know Judy. I, I, I didn't know hardly anybody. And I'm standing on the stage with Riza, Nation of Islam. Some of you are going to leave the church because of that. I'm like, I don't care, leave. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm standing there with somebody who stood in opposition to tyranny when my own brothers in the body of Christ wouldn't. And to their credit, they praised me, but what they didn't realize is they're not praising me. They're praising you. You're the brave ones. You're the ones that the community ridiculed because you stood for truth, continue to. And what does that mean to the world? Well, that's the last portion, that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord. It was also a purpose for the world so they would know that there is a God in heaven who can work miracles, a God they should seek with all their heart. And that's what I said to him last night. 